0: Flaky Biscuit is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. Hi, fam. Welcome to the Flaky Biscuit. You already know what it is. Each episode, we are cooking up delicious morsels of nostalgia, Mm. meals and recipes that have comforted and guided our guests to success. I can't stress this enough, fam. Food plays such an important role in people's lives. I guarantee you as a listener, you have a meal that just means a lot to you, whether it was your mama's gravy or a vending machine, Pop-Tart or whatever it is. I'm Brian Ford, For you're tuning in, cookbook author, TV show host. But most importantly, I love to cook and bake for people. And today I got someone so special. He's borderline elusive. (laughs) My guest today is a visual artist and activist that sees beauty in neglected spaces. If you've ever visited New Orleans, you probably definitely walk past his work. You've got a mural of, for example, Paul Pogba near Lafitte, Lafitte Greenway. And that's that's one of my favorite soccer players. So that was really cool to see. Um, I'm pretty sure I saw you when we were living in New Orleans last summer, saw you on some kind of big machine painting something. And I was like, I think that's, the, uh, that's Brandon, that's yeah. B Mike. Yeah. Perhaps you've bought Will Smith's book and admire that beautiful artwork. Or maybe you visited his studio, Studio B E. Name one of the 50 best things to do in the world. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) This dude's so humble. Dude, chilling. (laughs) I am so thrilled to have today with me, uh, Legend and Inspiration, Brandon Odoms. Thank you so much for being here today.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm I'm excited to be here.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I bet you were excited when we changed locations from the West Bank to three blocks (laughs) from your studio. Yeah, definitely. I mean, West Bank is home, but I literally walk here. Yeah. Yeah. We are in the Bywater right now. Talk to me a little bit about your studio. I mean, about this neighbor. I mean, you know, it's it's changed a lot. You know, you got Alma, a Honduran restaurant here on the corner. I
1: I really enjoy that spot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's good
0: to see Honduran food elevated. But what does it mean to you to see kind of the progression or the direction that this block, this neighborhood is going in?
1: My experience with this space goes way back. I went to high school at NOCA, which is the beginning of the Bywater. NOCA, New Orleans Center of Creative Arts. So and then Serendipitously, eight plus years later, I ended up with this studio space in this warehouse. And it's just been a blessing to be in this more artistic, you know, New Orleans in general is just a very culturally rich, artistic city. But the Bywater has a has its own version of that, I guess you will. It's a blend of local and traveler in a way that's really beautiful. So, yeah, it's been dope to be there. The studio is this huge warehouse, 35,000 square feet. We're grateful to open up our doors for people to experience not only my work, but other artists from the city and
0: around that have work displayed there. So yeah, I'm I'm grateful to be here. That's amazing. I'm very thrilled to be here with you so that I can kind of continue my education. I mean, you know, I'm from New Orleans, but being with someone like yourself that is so ingrained in the community through the ups and downs, right? I mean, the city seems to be going through a lot of ups and downs lately. And I don't know. How does that impact your work? I mean, how does that impact your day to day?
1: You know, I, I live here. I love this space. I love the people in this city and with love comes a lot of things it comes critique it comes with hope you know what i mean and so i think i have all of those things for the city you know mm-hmm. i can be critical of certain aspects of it critical of certain decisions made but ultimately i have a lot of hope for what this city represents and the people who make it what it is you mm-hmm. know this is a it's one of the oldest cities in this country it's actually older than the country itself so it's like when you think about how much time and how much people, how much energy, how many stories are part of this space. You can see that we've been through it all and we're still here, we're still resilient. We're still like this beacon of what's possible when you have this interesting blend of past, present and future. It's here in a very, very visibly beautiful way. Those are the things that make me love this space. When I travel to other cities, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for like, what is the oldest part of this city? I wanna see that, I wanna experience that because in New Orleans, If you're in the city of New Orleans, if you're in the French Quarter, if you're anywhere in the surrounding areas, you're in old ground, you know, sacred ground. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of stories there. So I love this space. I could talk on and on about New Orleans.
0: Some might say haunted ground.
1: Yeah, (laughs) I I think with time and history comes a lot of things. There's a lot of things we love, a lot of things we might be collectively ashamed of. You know, I think, it's always interesting when i travel the world and i tell people from new orleans i know you probably get this too you say new orleans and there's always a response yeah something they heard or something they've seen and it ranges it's not just one thing it might be oh the mardi gras oh food the oh, mardi jazz. Gras. yeah <laughs> the Mardi Gras. yeah some people might be voodoo it might be you know yeah. it's like all these things that get this direct response from people and i think what's beautiful about what happens when you say new orleans that typically what pops up in their head is the imagination or creativity of the everyday person mm-hmm. you know what i mean myself you we can be flowers of this soil but the best of this land is the soil you know what i mean it's not depending upon the flowers to make it beautiful people wow. come here before the soil you know what i mean they come here because they know that what makes it beautiful is is the everyday it's the mundane you know it's the fact that you can get probably the best meal at the corner store here Mm -hmm. than the the top of the line restaurant. Mm -hmm. Or or you can hear the best music from someone playing on the corner than you will if you were to go to Lincoln Center. And, you know, so I think that level of proximity here is just so beautiful. Like I said, I could talk about New Orleans. No,
0: no, and we will. And that kind of brings me back to why we're here on this podcast. Mm -hmm. You mentioned to our team, you mentioned to me that you spent some time in Japan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And why don't you tell our listeners what it is that you had me prepare for you, like literally, what is it? How did you encounter this for the first time yeah. and what was your experience with it? You know, when you asked that question,
1: I, was, I went a few directions, but I landed here because it was such a bookmark of my life, this meal and this space. I lived in Okinawa, Japan. My father was in the Marines, so I was a military brat up until seventh grade, I believe. We traveled a lot as a result. My mom and all her family's from New Orleans, so this was always home but I was born in California, Oceanside, California. I lived there <laughs> up to like six months then right. moved back to New Orleans. Right. And then from that point, like every two, every three years, we would move to a different city, different state, different country sometimes on military bases. But when you go to these spaces, when you're living in the military base, the assumption is you're not from there. So everyone always asks, well, where are you from? And our answer was always New Orleans, right. even though we had not spent a lot of time. We would come here for summers. Every other year, we would come and go to school here. So there's like dotted throughout my elementary school. Around the time of middle school, I was we were living in Okinawa, Japan. And the experience there was exciting. It was interesting. This is before internet. So being able to see the world outside of what I thought the world was in terms of what I saw every day on TV, et cetera, So It was just an amazing experience. I wish, in hindsight, we did more to fully immerse ourselves in the culture, but living in a military base is like being in an American town. But what happened is, from my understanding of this dish, it's called taco rice. Mm -hmm. The history of it, from what I understand, is that a lot of Japanese chefs were trying to cater to the American soldiers and trying to figure out this fusion of sorts. Mm -hmm. How it came to be tacos, I don't know, but I do know that they were like, okay, what is something we can create that these soldiers would like okinawa is like a 60 mile long island and any restaurant you go to when we were there it was a dish on the on the menu oh, it's like smart. taco rice really and so there was a spot we would go to after church every sunday it was called the tea house i believe we probably ordered that every single time we went there and it reminded us i guess of back home whatever that meant for each of us but it also had all these like Japanese sensibilities to it because right. it was a, it was a rice dish. Yeah. They don't play with their rice. Exactly. Boy, they don't exactly. play with their rice.
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: And so it ended up happening after our years there, we there for like two and a half, three years. My mother started to cook this as a dish that she would have as a part of her rotation. Oh, so your mom had it
0: in her rotation yeah. too. Cause it's uh-huh. an easy dish to make. Yeah. It's
1: quick and it fills you up. And so I'm one of three, my mom has three sons. And so for us in the home, you know, she knew she could feed all of us quickly with that meal. And so, yeah, it's real nostalgic. Yeah.
0: For the listeners, what exactly is taco rice?
1: So it's basically, it's like layers, right? So the first layer would typically be rice. White rice. White rice, definitely. I still have memories of like the rice cooker, the steam rice uh-huh. cooker just filled with rice and we just <laughs> scoop that in. The second layer would, would be lettuce or some sort of meat. So it would be like ground beef. Right. And then on top of that was dependent upon the person, like in a lot of ways, if you imagine Chipotle, but not, not as many options. You had lettuce, tomatoes, cheese, salsa, and maybe if you were in a fancy spot, some like sour cream, and soy sauce and things like oh, that. Oh, snap. Yeah.
0: OK. So like blending kind of a more Japanese flavor yeah. with the... Tex-Mex, yeah, 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 American. And that's why it's interesting like, that,
1: that tacos became like the representation of what the American soldiers wanted. So it was like, a, yeah, like a Tex-Mex style. Yeah. And depending on the person, you'll see some people the bowl will be as large as, <laughs> as, as popcorn Longed bowl, life. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and some folk it'll be just like a lot of rice, a little bit of meat, a lot of lettuce, a little, you know. So it, it was a cool meal that everybody was able to like create their own right version of it with fresh ingredients. With I'm fresh assuming. ingredients, yeah yeah, 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 definitely. And I just remember. At a young age it was something that we did collectively as a family like i remember i would chop the tomatoes my brother would chop up the lettuce and it was just like this quick thing that we can do straight home from school Mm -hmm. we're helping prepare those are some of the memories i have and i do have memories coming back to the states and trying to introduce it to friends like my mom would cook it we would try to and you know People have their thoughts about what they want their taco to be, so they're like, "I'm right. gonna put rice in there." You know, it's- man, you better man rice. Look, I'm Hispanic
0: and I'm from New Orleans, so rice goes with yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah. We play with rice, so. <laughs> like, But yeah, it's it's interesting the idea of what Mexican food has become in this country, yeah. almost like a representation of what American food yeah. is. And I think if you drive drive through the South, mm-hmm. you know, you could stop in Virginia at the most like crazy looking sketchy town with confederate flags mm-hmm. and all this thing but all them dudes is in the taco joint eating, that's such an interesting you know thing but that's very like, true they're yeah. they they rocking the confederate flag and they're looking at you a certain way but then they're meeting at the taco joint yeah. so you better believe that this kind of tex-mex you know taco bell and all this yeah. kind of thing it's kind of permeates what the perception of an american would want like nachos yeah or something like def- that right definitely.
1: like and that's what's interesting about the taco rice dishes the things that aren't there that friends of mine who, as I think about like preparing it, like the things that they would include when I make versions of it, I would include like guacamole or like avocados. Mm -hmm. I would Mm -hmm. include like tortilla chips, these types of things, but these were never a part of the the table spread. So that's the part that's interesting too, is like how ultimately that decision was made to make the traditional taco rice dish what it is. And I wish I knew more about it. I was too young to ask questions. I was just happy to be eating something that I really enjoyed. So
0: yeah, I mean, I never knew about it. Mm-hmm. I had nothing I had no <laughs> knowledge of taco rice. I thought that was super dope. I mean, my brother's in the Navy, so I do have knowledge of the culture of being on a base. Yeah. Uh, yeah he doesn't yeah. have kids or anything like that. But you know, he's been in Bahrain, Kuwait, and all this kind of thing. And he's like, Yeah, like they'll have burgers and yeah, like yeah, yeah. pull pork. You yeah. know, you know, they don't eat pork there. But because of the military, I don't know, I don't want to call it occupation, but mm. uh, because of the military presence, mm-hmm. the certain countries cater to the Americans needs yeah. even with alcohol. Like, there's mm-hmm. countries that they don't drink alcohol, but the soldiers get it. Yeah. Yeah. It was
1: interesting as a child, I was 11, 12, 13, and not really understanding that aspect of our presence there. And I remember there were times where we had, there was like one channel on the news that was, it was like one channel on TV that they would try to get as much American stuff on as possible. So in the mornings, it'll be cartoons and it'll be the stories, yeah. soap operas. Then it'll be the news. It was like the one channel for everybody because you know there's no streaming, anything. So, yeah. But I remember there'll be times where they'll be like, oh, don't go out in town today because they're protesting. Oh, snap. I didn't know what it meant. I'm like, oh, They're okay. protesting you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> then as an adult, and I, I've explored that in my art too in yeah. terms of those moments as well. But I think the beautiful thing about this dish is that I've seen moments where there were Japanese folks, American folks sitting together like eating this meal. So if it started that way, if it was like, this beautiful blend of cultures intentionally, then I think that's an amazing thing that food allows us to do that, to kind of break bread and sit together. I
0: mean, that's why me and you are here. Right. So speaking of eating, so I've I've got, (laughs) as usually on the flaky, but maybe it's called flaky biscuit because something flaky always happens. Uh, (laughs) So, you know, we do our recon, we exchange emails, you know, Brandon's on board, shows up. I've got this... I've got this really beautiful... Okay, so let me tell you what I did before we talk about the the on-the-fly maneuvers here. I got some ground beef, 80-20 Chuck, you know, try to keep it a little fatty. Mm -hmm. And I got some dried shiitake mushrooms, actually. Mm. Soaked those to kind of rehydrate them, sliced them up, incorporated them with the beef and the taco seasoning, uh, some shallots, some garlic. He's saying, yeah, 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 yeah. I threw it down, a little bit of sesame oil. Mm. Like, you know, I, I got down with that meat. I was like, let me... I don't know much about taco rice, but Mm -hmm. I know that a Japanese chef will probably maybe be using some ingredients like Mm -hmm. sesame oil. Mm -hmm. So I do all that. Boom. Had a little bit of a little bit of like salsa in it just to give it creaminess and that kind of salsa Mm -hmm. type. (laughs) He's like, damn it. (laughs) So (laughs) Brandon walks in and he's like, "Oh, oh, shoot, I don't eat beef. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> He's like, by the way, I, I forgot to tell you, I don't I eat for, I was like, yeah, oh, no, I shit. Forgot, no, yeah. but that, this is what makes this so fun because there's no script to food. Yeah, like there's no, point. things happen, yeah, things, you know, yeah, things yeah. get across. So I had to pivot. I was going to actually do like a four minute egg on top of that and let the yolk mm, run mm-hmm, on it. Mm-hmm. What I didn't set is I hard boiled them a little bit more and I quickly whipped up a new taco seasoning here with the seasonings they had mm-hmm. in the cabinet. So I'm gonna present to you your taco rice. Yeah. Basically, it's just <laughs> eggs, rice, tomato, and lettuce with some soy sauce, but but we'll see where it brings you. So I'm, okay. gonna, I'm gonna just step up and grab this for, sure. for I mean, you real
1: quick. That's amazing what you did with the beef too. And you got me second guessing my- I'm gonna eat it for you. <laughs> so thank go you, go. sir. Thank you,
0: thank All you. All right. This looks beautiful though. Oh man, I appreciate that. Let me get a little soy sauce on mine. Don't go anywhere, we'll be right back after this. Hey, it's Brian again. Let's get back into it. So, I didn't have any cheese. The current approach of getting those like shiitake mushrooms in mm-hmm. there and kind of creating the umami mm-hmm. that way, I was like, well, mm-hmm. we don't really need, you know, what adding cheese, like a shredded cheddar, is mm-hmm. like to add umami, right? Add mm-hmm. richness. So, I thought I had fulfilled that. But anyway, let me know your thoughts. Okay. So give, you it a, give it a taste. This is really good. Mm. And I'm also really hungry, so the helps. beef good. I can imagine all that description. When did you stop eating beef and pork? If that's something you're comfortable with talking about. Yeah, no.
1: Um, it's been about seven, eight years now. I was in a relationship with someone who was vegan. Mm-hmm. It was the first time I thought about what I ate. And but I was more impressed by the discipline of it. It wasn't like the what are you putting in your body, it wasn't that, it was just the discipline. Right. I was like, man, everywhere we go, we have to like make this announcement and <laughs> <That'd> gotta be like <laughs> <laughs> I never thought about discipline as it relates to food. So I was like, let me see if I can not do, I think it was pork at first. Right. And then time passed and it was like, okay, I feel different. I don't know if I feel better, but I feel different.
0: <laughs> you could feel the pork leaving your body. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> and I think the main thing that kind of made me stick to it and continue to think about what else to add was one time I made a mistake and ate pork and I didn't feel well. Mm-hmm. And then so from that point, I was like, okay, this is just out of my system now I yeah. can't go back. Mm-mm. So I do a lot of like turkey based things. So like I would have did this dish with like turkey ground meat. Mm. Or I'm not like the type of person to think I'm better off because I don't. It just I think my stomach or whatever has adjusted to not having these things. So when my doctor told me I was tripping, he was like, you eat steak tomorrow, nothing's going to happen. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) who knows a year from now, I might be like,
0: yeah, that was then. And now I'm just like, whatever. So so you're eight years strong in it. Mm -hmm. Beef and pork. You eat chicken? Chicken. Yeah, Definitely
1: yeah. chicken, turkey, mm-hmm. all seafood. You know, I yeah. can do that easily here. Traveling
0: yeah. is where it gets hardest. Yeah.
1: And actually the last time I ate beef, I was in Korea. It was like a Korean barbecue spot that was super mm-hmm. authentic. Mm-hmm. I couldn't read the menu. I was with some friends. They interpreted things for me and it was like, if you don't eat the beef here, something is wrong with you. <laughs> and I did it and it was amazing.
0: Felt fine? I
1: felt fine. Yeah, but this was early into it. It was like a year in. All ah, right, right. So if I'm in the space and they're like, yo, this is the best version of this that you will ever have, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna do it. Yeah, you know what I mean.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, you. <laughs> what, are you what are you gonna do? Say no?
1: Right, exactly. I do feel like as a for my own personal okay. stuff, there's more discipline I want to impose upon myself in terms of what I consume. I tried to stop doing dairy for a while, but I just yeah, cheese
0: and yo, cheese, bro. Cheese is so cheese good. Cheese is so good, but it, the dairy be messing my sinuses
1: up. Man. Like, I found alternatives to milk that I really love. I love oat milk. Yeah, I love almond milk. Yeah. Found alternatives to ice cream, all these things, but cheese, I could just not find an alternative. Because there is none. There is none, right? It's like <laughs> there just isn't an like, alternative to cheese. And I know it's all like, my non-dairy folk and vegan folk are probably like, "Yo, you need to try this version, this version." I've tried it all, <laughs> and and none of it compares to like real cheese. It's just yeah, <laughs> yeah it's one of those things where I'm like, "Yo, this is amazing."
0: Yo, for sure. So. To the listeners out there, the recipe for Brandon's taco rice will be on Shondaland.com. This is really good. But I bet we're all curious. I do appreciate you saying that it's really good. How are we feeling about the nostalgia of the taco rice I presented you today? Where does this rank? Did I bring you back? Are you having a moment? Are you having a flashback? Or are you just eating eggs and rice? This is really (laughs) different from the way...
1: For me, at least the way I would have prepared it when I was making my own serving, it was always a lot of dairy, a lot of cheese. Um, So the answer is no. No, no, no. But I think
0: (laughs) I don't eat a lot of white rice. So just Ah. eating this
1: rice alone is bringing me back the texture of the rice, lettuce, and the tomato, bringing me back to like sitting at that table with my family. And this is something because I remember I'm starting to have memories of like negotiating with myself because I always wanted more, (laughs) negotiating with myself about how much my portions was going to be. And I don't know how many siblings you have or don't have, how large the household you grew up in. Yeah. But for me, it was always like looking at my brothers, seeing how much they ate and how much is left and trying to hurry up before they finish to get more. <laughs> so these are the type of memories that's coming back to me. That competitive spirit yeah. of like, yo, they only have so much left and I'm trying to help them finish
0: so I can go get the rest of that <laughs> before you do. <laughs> well, we got a whole pot of rice here. <laughs> I ain't got no more eggs though, so... You could take your time. I know with my brothers eggs. would probably hear this and be like,
1: I knew it. You something. Saw-
0: <laughs> <laughs> I used to have a race with my brother on Thanksgiving. We'd each take a turkey leg and we'd each pile our plate high. Mm-hmm. And this dude would clean me out every year. He would be relaxed. Mm-hmm. He would just be kind of how you eating right now, chilling. Mm-hmm. And I would be like, oh, oh, yeah, taking yeah. bites. Mm-hmm. Then i look over, he done. You ain't never going to beat me. That's what my brother
1: would say. <laughs> we used to do everything. Like my mother would get like pastries or whatever and. We would count them out and see how many people. Okay, there's six in here total. That means you get two, you get two, you get two. Everything was so competitive about like, you can't eat three if I can only eat one. (laughs) Like if you eat two, I have to eat two, et cetera. Yeah. All right. That's what this is bringing me back to.
0: I'll take that. You've been brought back somewhere Mm -hmm. relevant, Mm -hmm. somewhere special. I'm glad I can give you those moments. Once again, you're continuing to eat. You know, I got to keep patting myself on the bat. I'm waiting on the episode where someone takes one bite and just doesn't touch it again. And I'm like, oh, shit. (laughs) But but I I appreciate your honesty and transparency here, man. You know, I have a question,
1: though. When that happens, do you take that personal? If you prepare something for someone and they don't like it, don't enjoy it or don't finish it?
0: No, I don't take it personal as long as they don't make it personal. Like, Mm, you know, if someone comes to me and insults me or something Mm -hmm. or whatever, then I'd be like, yo, what's up? But yeah. if someone just doesn't mm-hmm. like something I made, then that's life. I mean, not everyone's gonna like everything I do. There's stuff I don't like to eat. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've gone to Michelin restaurants and been mm-hmm. completely like disappointed. I'll be at the table to be like, "Man, this ain't good. This ain't <laughs> right." I mean, it's interesting because as an art
1: form, there are many art forms that people will tolerate if they don't enjoy it. Like you yeah. can sit through a bad performance mm-hmm. or sit through a bad film. Mm-hmm. Someone can watch a look at a painting and be like, Yeah, I don't like this, mm-hmm. but I'll mm-hmm. give it some time. Mm-hmm. It's hard to do I think food with. is like,
0: if it's not passing the test for you, like, nah, I gotta go. That's an interesting point. And I love how you mentioned food as an art form. If you don't like food, you're not gonna put it into your body. No. <laughs> if you go over to like you know you got a new wifey or something and mm. her mama cooked something, you you better you go clean that 10. plate. You better clean that plate quick. All
1: the tricks, the are gonna be full. Everything. Yeah.
0: She gonna be talking about my mom makes the best mm, this and that. You take yeah. one bite, be like, oh snap, this yeah, ain't, ain't good. That. Yeah. But for me, it's very hard to find a meal that I like don't want right. to eat at okay. all. That yeah. I'm just like. Ugh, this is gross. Yeah, like it's yeah. I'll usually play ball a little bit, but you are right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been to a music show or like looked at a painting and be like, I don't really vibe with that. And mm-hmm. then I just turn around and walk. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. I don't have to engage with it anymore. Yeah, yeah.
1: And no, that's interesting. I always wondered that because comedians talk about what happens if no one laughs. And I always
0: wonder for chefs. Yeah, comedians, if no one laughs, it's glaringly obvious. Mm-hmm. If someone looks at your murals, mm-hmm. if you were on the corner mm-hmm. and you saw someone like and they didn't know you were around, and they were like standing in front of your mural, and they just stood there, and then they walked away, what would go through your mind?
1: I think i bake in the idea, uh, no pun intended, Um, (laughs) but I bake in the idea when I create that it's not for everyone. And then people are only gonna give you so much time, like with murals and et cetera, there's a eight second billboard rule where like people would give you eight seconds. You have that much time to try to communicate with them before they keep moving. Mm. They're processing so much information in their day, especially with phones and just a general stimulation of what's around them. So I always challenge myself to say, okay, what can I communicate within eight seconds? How can I not make this so complicated or so nuanced or so visually
0: complicated that it requires them 30 minutes just to get something? Do you feel like within that eight seconds, if someone takes their phone out and takes a picture of your art, is Mm -hmm. that is that something that. Makes you feel good? Do you not care? Is it something you look for? Like if if you know people are in the studio, actually, I don't even know if you allow photos in there. No, definitely we do. Is that like what you would be looking for?
1: Yeah, I mean, to me, I've been playing with this juxtaposition of the ephemeral with the eternal as it relates to the work I create. And this is also an interesting point for you as an artist, as a chef, in terms of like how long does something last? Like, are you upset when someone eats the food in like five seconds? It's like I've worked on that for (laughs) this long, and you just but. With the mural, it's like the idea that I know it has a short time frame. It's not going to last forever. Right. Whether it's the conditions of the elements of the environment that's going to beat up on it or the building itself might crumble.
0: Like at, in the hurricane. Yeah, exactly. I got a story about that. I watched it happen. Wow. I, and Continue on. I do want to jump back to that, but continue on to what you're talking No, it's just about. the idea that
1: I know that this is not a forever thing. So when someone takes us a photo, it does sort of impose an extended lifespan now they can look back at it on their photo or if we sell it as a print they can put it up on their wall mm. but i think ultimately for me personally like my experience is the production is the process once that performance is done then i'm kind of like okay interesting what else can you do you've, you've presented yourself yeah. you've created right you step back and is to me that part of it feels like a performance like a choreographed dance mm-hmm. in a way i remember hearing friends talk about like the beauty of stage plays once it's over, it's over. You can't record it because it's not the same. Mm-hmm. Like What you get from a recorded version of it isn't the same thing you got from being there. And so for me as a person who's in the process of creating it, when it's done, it's over. Like I can't recreate what I fell in love about it. You know, I can look at it and fall in love with the impact it has on other people. But for
0: me, the process is done. Like the story right. is done. There's a struggle involved mm-hmm. with creation, right? Like- Definitely. Everything you're saying is pointing to the fact that there's a slight struggle involved when you're in the weeds of it, trying to figure out what it is you're putting out. Mm -hmm. And I read somewhere that you wrestle with concepts like black power, Mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. definition of blackness. And Mm -hmm. what is the responsibility that you have to your community to portray Mm -hmm. these things? I mean, when I look at your artwork, I see black excellence. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, you know, no, I do. I mean, I I truly do. So, I mean, like, how has that molded your path forward?
1: I mean, on one extent, i benefited from this collective moment that we've been in around investigating the value of black lives. Mm-hmm. Just this new sort of black arts movement where you see a lot of creatives, whether it be in music and cinema and literature, poetry, all these things where they're like investigating their responsibility in the moment we're in. You see this general disregard of black life and it's like, well, I'm a black person that's creating communication to the public. How can I communicate the way I love? myself the way I love my community and how does that translate in the moment so I understand that I've benefited my work has benefited from this current that has pushed it forward other people who said you know what your work like you just said in black excellence like seeing your work makes me love myself Mm -hmm. it makes me understand why I'm powerful why I'm beautiful and I've benefited from that but also I think there's another conversation that a lot of black artists are having around is it just that you know I have friends who who struggle with calling themselves a black artist. They say, no, I'm just an artist. I listen to that. It's and I'm, so I, I, tricky, man. Yeah, because I can understand even f- as a chef and, and thinking about when people label you at that, you know, yeah. it opens up a door of opportunity as well
0: as a type of exceptionality, but you also know what the door is limiting to. Right. Pretty much anyone that's black or brown that I talk to that is creating something. Mm-hmm. It's just something that we have to deal with yeah. because uh, at least, you know, I can speak for myself growing up in Louisiana Going to high school in Slidell, Mm -hmm. you already know what they was calling me. Mm -hmm. I don't have to get into it. So I'm always having to validate my existence to myself. Like Mm -hmm. I I am good enough. I'm not those things they call me. So then when you become successful, like I'm an Afro-Honduran or a black baker who's Mm -hmm. wrote a a baking cookbook. Like you said, I've benefited from this realization of like, oh, the media wants to now accept us as Mm -hmm. worthy. Mm -hmm. So we're obviously going to take the opportunities that we can get Mm because, you know, we're trying to get it in. But then it does make you step back and say, like, oh man, like, am I, am I a good baker, Mm -hmm. or am I a good baker because I'm black? Mm -hmm. I don't know the answer. No,
1: I think it's, it's definitely a question that a lot of us explore. And I think for me, the exploration led me to just focusing on what's most important. When I did that, I realized what's most important to me is the fact that I can inspire in light of fire in folks. Because when I was younger, when I was in high school, I didn't see examples of what a black artist looked like. Right. There were many examples, but I didn't have social media. I couldn't look it up. I couldn't go follow people on Instagram yeah. that I felt modeled a certain creativity that I had. So I'm excited by the fact that I can be one of those examples for these artists that we encounter all the time, these younger artists that say, okay, I want to do it like you. I want to do it better than you. You've showed me how this way looks, so I want to do it that way. And I think those things are exciting to me. How people define you—you—you would never like fully satisfy yourself with that answer because they're gonna people are gonna do it regardless. They're gonna they're gonna dice you up in some category that makes them feel comfortable, right? And you know, there's a quote by Audrey Lord who said, "If if I didn't define myself for myself, I would be shrunk into other people's imaginations and eaten alive." You can vicariously live through other people's imagination, or you can be like, "No, I'm gonna define myself for myself." And I think for a lot of us, oh, for a lot of us as creatives that's what we spend a lot of our time doing trying to define ourselves for ourselves right. and then you know some of us butt up against those definitions and say no that I'm I'm absolutely not that and I'm going to show you why and some of us embrace it and say okay that plus more right and i think i'm in the that plus more category you in the that plus more yeah. i mean you're,
0: you're obviously very self-aware of where you're at right now as an artist having a good time stay flaky we'll be right back Enough of that. Enough of that. Back to the interview. Tell me quickly, how did you get from eating taco rice <laughs> moving around the, the globe uh-huh. to having this world renowned studio? I mean, like I what like you know, what, renowned, is, what is Yeah. when was the moment you were like, Oh shoot, I'm really good at this. I mean, the short end of the story is that I
1: went to NOCA for visual arts. I didn't see myself reflected in the space, not the physical NOCA space, but just like the general space of fine arts. And so I went to school for filmmaking because I was also in love with filmmaking as well. So I went to UNO for filmmaking because I did see myself reflected in those spaces. I saw Spike Lee, John Singleton, and I'm like, OK, I'm going to be a, a movie director. So I did that. And I somewhere in that process of exploring filmmaking, I got stuck in the purgatory space of music videos, which... Any filmmaker student would laugh at that because there is a space where you can get stuck in where all you do is music videos. I was doing that in New Orleans, post-Katrina New Orleans. And it was a beautiful, creative space because I'm I'm a super fan of music. Musicians are my favorite people. Just seeing their process is so beautiful. So I was privileged to be able to create music videos for so many amazing artists and be able to interpret their music into visuals. But what that afforded me as well was this opportunity to explore New Orleans in a different way. Post-Katrina New Orleans, where space was political, where you would see neighborhoods completely still destroyed yeah, and, and like on pause.
0: You see the waterline. Exactly. You could still see the waterline
1: yeah. for years. Exactly. I'm deep in these spaces looking for locations for music videos because the rappers, they wanted that look, that edge. Mm-hmm. And so I'm back there location scouting and I would see all this amazing graffiti and street art. I remember my roommate at the time as well as other friends. We would just go urban exploring all the time, looking for locations. But also I fell in love with this, this process of finding graffiti and just like, oh, look at this beautiful thing. Or, look at this. Or, Who did this? Why? And so, you know, imitation is the highest form of flattery. So I'm like going back there with spray paint now because I'm like, mm-hmm. well, I know how to paint a little bit. So let me try it. So I'm deep into these spaces, trying my own hand at graffiti. And I fell in love. Graffiti or I should say spray paint reignited my love for visual art. Mm. And so I started going back there all the time because at first I was just trying to duplicate what I saw people doing. I was doing the lettering and I was like, well, I'm not really that interested in that. So I started to find my own voice, creating portraits of specifically people in black history. And I was just a super fan of history. So I'm like painting these portraits of people. And then the media got into it because the images started to circulate. It was like this idea that if I'm painting Dr. King in an abandoned housing project, then there must be a political message. Right. So it started to snowball as this right. political thing. Mm. This like art. And this is around the time that Banksy is blowing up. Mm-hmm. Shepard Ferry did the Obama poster. So there's this idea that street artists are political. Yeah. So it all just started to snowball. This first space became Project B. It got shut down. And then we started Exhibit B on the West Bank. Once that ended, then uh, I was blessed to be able to walk into what's now Studio B. And through that almost 10-year journey, yeah, 10 years now. Wow, that's crazy. Because <laughs> 2013 is when it all started. But through that 10-year journey, wow. so much growth, so much understanding of the medium, of the responsibility. It's been a blessing.
0: You a master, man. Like, don't even play, don't even play no games, man. Before we wrap up, we like to usually play a, a little flaky game, okay. a game for you. But before we, we get into the game, I wanted to circle back to what we talked about during Ida. Mm-hmm. I'll give you my experience. You know, we're sitting... You know, I've been through Katrina. I've been mm-hmm. through I've been through them all. I'm sure you have been through mm-hmm. quite a few of them as well. And I was in this apartment and it seemed pretty safe. And I was actually moving to New York three days after the landfall Uh-oh. was expected. So I was like, I'm not going to evacuate, then be stuck somewhere and can't mm-hmm. get my stuff and move, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. So I stayed mm-hmm. and it wasn't supposed to be that bad. No, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> like, it just was not supposed right. to be that bad. And I was like, it'll be fine. And as the storm progressed, Started noticing it turned into like a wind tunnel or like a, mm. it turned into like a tornado type wow. vibe. And it just started, the wind was spinning, then the power went out mm. and the rain was battering and the wind kept intensifying. And all of a sudden, right before our eyes, it was my sister, Bridget and myself, this building just, co- I mean, it just wow. co- it just fell. And I didn't realize it was the building mm-hmm. that you had that, um, was it the Buddy Bolden? Yeah, Buddy Bolden mural. Yeah. I didn't realize that until the next day and the storm calmed down. You know, we did a little walk, you know, the walk around mm-hmm. yeah. the post storm and we walked around, I was like, oh shit. You know, the news was everywhere yeah, that, that, and the bricks were everywhere. Yeah. And I was like, those bricks have something on. I was like, oh no. Yeah, that was, so, yeah. So, you know, enough of me talking about my experience with this. I'd love to know what happened, you know?
1: No, I was, that was wild. That was an interesting take because I wasn't there. Like last minute we decided to leave because I lived not too far from that. I was still living at the Pythian at the time, right yeah. there, a couple blocks away. But I do remember when we came back, I was like, okay, this mural's done. Cool, that's part of it. It's unfortunate, but I remember I tried to go get some of the bricks to like preserve them. I'm like, okay, this is an interesting moment. They shut that down. They threatened to call the police on me. It was like a big old, what? at that point, they had the whole space like fenced up. Yeah, And I was just like, yo, I'm about to go try to get some bricks. So we walked in. I was documenting the whole thing. So we tried to have a conversation with the crew. It was like, yo, we just wanted to talk. And, and then one of my homies took a brick. So we're leaving. They didn't want to let me film inside. I think that's what I was trying to do. So we're right, leaving. Right. Out of nowhere, somebody pops up, like, one of my workers just said, you took a brick. Where is it? And we like, yo, what's <laughs> going on? I'm like, it's, yeah, it got tense. We filmed the whole thing. But then a couple months later, the company that owns the space reached out and we're like, yo, how can we make this work? Blah, blah, blah. Right. And right. so. Ended up getting recommissioned to paint this spat over. So it's back up, new and improved.
0: Amazing. Well, congrats on the new and improved. Thank you, thank you, um, thank you. You know, I, I can't imagine what it must have felt like to know that that crumbled down. But, you know, in life, sometimes you just got to move forward and maybe do something again. Yeah, Dude, no, definitely.
1: You know? I'm, I'm, I learned those lessons many times with
0: painting in public space. Yeah. Like, yeah so it's part of it. So I want to pivot into what we call our flaky game. I got something kind of fun uh, <laughs> lined up okay. for you. Flaky game. For your particular game. First of all, I have a question. Have you ever made paint with fruits or vegetables?
1: No, I haven't. My niece, I have a niece. She's two, almost three. And I did purchase some vegetable-based paint for her. And we did like a little finger paint project. Mm-hmm. And that was the most. Oh, that sounds fun. kind yeah. of cool.
0: Well, in order to win my game, okay. you need to get 20 points, okay. and to get a point, you just have to name an ingredient that can create the color of paint that I'm going to ask you for. So okay. you have, we're going to have three rounds of this, okay. all right? each round's 10 seconds. So you've got 10 seconds, and we want not start right now, so you better be gotcha. ready. All right, you got 10 seconds. Tell me as many food ingredients as you can that can make green paint starting now. Green, um, uh, uh, Ginger?
1: Um, avocado, avocado. Um, I don't know why I'm
0: blanking out. Uh, celery, um, celery, and that's time. You okay. got two points. I got two all points. Right. So okay. you are getting a little warm. get a little warm. Hey, get a little warm. This. You get a little spinach juice or some kale yeah, or something kale. like that. Okay, all the green things. Um, yeah. All right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and yeah. I'm yeah. drinking something green right now. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: it's just a matcha. Hey, uh, somebody- you can do this. Okay, I got it. All right, so you got two points. We got to get to 20. You got two rounds left. Okay, all right. You no jeez. Can- all right, ready. Mm-hmm. Red, red beets, mm-hmm. uh,
1: strawberry yep. uh, berries, like regular yeah. berries. Sure, uh, um, like five. that's five. Yeah, uh, that's five. Yeah, a bunch of berries. Yeah, a bunch of berries. Oh, that's six,
0: seven.
1: Uh, meat? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like,
0: like the blood from meat. Yes. I'll tell you, you like know what. Raw meat? Yeah. All right, we're at ten. Okay. You got ten okay. points. Okay, there we go. Okay. All right, round three. Round uh-huh. three. Last round. Mm-hmm. See if you can get ten points. Let's see. Ooh, um, orange. Okay. We can do oranges. You can
1: do carrots. Carrots. You could do, uh, zucchini. No, that's not orange. Uh,
0: you mean pumpkin? Is that what you meant? Pumpkin, yeah, that's what I I I meant. Pumpkin, yeah. Did you mean six different types of squash? Yes, chloroform squash. Squashes? Squash. I think Um, it's just squash.
1: Uh, Orange. Uh, and and if I would have read those ingredients on my niece's coloring thing i probably would have got all those it was like a vegan it yeah. was like some organic it was, when it was you nice.
0: walked in drinking the green smoothie i was like oh he's definitely gonna get this no <laughs>
1: this is a front this is for people to think i'm healthier oh than
0: man I am. and you know the last thing we definitely want to talk about is eternal seeds mm-hmm. um you're doing so many things for so many parts of the community but you mentioned to us you wanted to talk about eternal seeds so let our listeners know what what is Eternal Seeds and, and why is it so important to you? Yeah, Eternal Seeds is like where we've been
1: focusing all our efforts into investing in the creative community of New Orleans, especially young and emerging artists of color. This idea that for so many people, New Orleans is is that thing, like that creative space, that imagination incubator, whatever you want to call it. But there's people who extract that and say, okay, I like these things. I like these elements. I'm going to extract it. But we realize we have a responsibility to, Toil in the ground to make sure the ground is fertile for flowers to grow. Mm-hmm. Like I used that analogy earlier, but there's a rapper who said, What's more important, the flower or the soil that grew it? And what are we doing? What is the work that we're doing to make sure that this soil is fertile grounds for new talent, new creativity to grow and thrive, be sustainable, to be successful? So, what does that look like practically? That's workshops, that's summer camps, that's creating opportunities, grants for artists, for creatives. And just making it so that a story like myself, which was wild and meandering and confusing and organic, how do we make sure that it doesn't have to be that way for the next person? Right. How do we make sure that we pave that ground, that the mud that we got it out of when we say, oh, I got it out the mud. How do we make sure it doesn't have to be that way for the next person? Yeah. And that's what Eternal Seeds is about. Look us up, eternalseeds.com. If you love anything about New Orleans creativity, invest in its future, you know?
0: I mean, donate, contribute, volunteer.
1: Yeah, definitely volunteer all the things. All right. yeah.
0: Well, y'all are ever in New Orleans. I know a lot of y'all, wherever y'all live in this country, <laughs> y'all going to be visiting and partying and doing all that. Yep. But if you're going to come and party and stuff, go to eternalseeds.com and spend a couple hours somewhere to do something nice for the yes, community please. here. We really always need that kind of support, especially the youth that are growing up here. So appreciate that. This has been an absolute honor. I cannot stress enough how excited this. I got goosebumps. I mean, I've, we've been waiting for this for a while. Thank you for taking time to be on Flaky Biscuit. Nah, no, thank you for inviting me. This was fun. Absolutely. Appreciate you
1: making this meal, bringing me back. I appreciate that. Thank all you right, so much.
0: all right, B. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you all so 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 much for listening once again. Man, I love y'all support. If you want the recipe for my version of taco rice, find that recipe on Shondaland.com. This recipe was new to me. It's In fact, this dish was new to me. I never knew about it. So I'm really curious as to how y'all are going to do. Tag me at Artisan Brian, Tag BMike at BMike2C. And of course, please don't forget to tag Shondaland post those photos videos you already know send us messages leave some comments get into that discord and chat with everyone else chat with our other listeners about how y'all are doing with this recipe and i think the best advice i can give make that protein nice and seasoned whatever it is that you choose get a nice i'm not always a fan of this packaged taco seasoning but you can make your own by using like cayenne pepper paprika white pepper black pepper pepper Salt, and you know what I'm saying? So just get creative, make sure you season it up nice and make a nice, comforting bowl. Don't forget to look up Eternal Seeds at eternalseeds.com. You can find their website and all the handles I've mentioned in the show notes for this episode. If you like flaky biscuit, all right, if you like flaky layers and delicious morsels of nostalgia, then you know what to do. Leave us a beautiful rating, review, share, subscribe, tell the whole world, scream it from the rooftops. If you're driving to work and you want to hear something delicious, put on Flaky Biscuit. Thank you so much for joining, guys. Flaky Biscuit is executive produced by Sandy Bailey, Alex Aljay, Lauren Homan, Tyler Clang, and Gabrielle Collins. Our creative producer is Bridget Kenna, And our editor and producer is Nicholas Harder with music by Crucial. Recipes from Flaky Biscuit can be found each week on Shondaland.com. Subscribe to the Shondaland YouTube channel for more Flaky Biscuit content. Flaky Biscuit is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.